my first uh, scripture reading of the morning, which talks about how great our God is, how great thou art. I'm going to be reading from uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 27, which is an extended uh, part, but it's the creation story. Didn't quite know where to cut it and uh, wanted you to hear it. So uh, please join me uh, either on the screen or in your bulletin as I read the uh, creation story as it comes to us from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered there he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening. And there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas. And let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening. And there was morning. The fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind. Cattle and creeping things. And wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind. And the cattle of every kind. And everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, today, we uh, kind of bring down the curtain on this uh, sermon series that I've been preaching throughout this month of January that I called uh, Dimensions. And as you know, over these past few weeks, we've gone through this uh, string of words that the Apostle Paul put together in his prayer to the church in Ephesus, that you may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus Christ. What's fun here is that Paul is kind of praying for the impossible, that we will grasp the ungraspable, that we will wrap our minds around the unwrap-aroundable. I know that's not a word for all you English teachers out there. But this morning, we're going to look at how wide is God's love. And there's lots of different ways I could have done this. I've chosen to do it by looking through the wonders of God's creation great unnaturalist John Muir said that the veil between the creator and the creation is actually very thin. In fact, he wrote a book called Our National Parks, and he writes this, all nature's wildness tells the same story. Storms of every sort, torrents, earthquakes, cataclysms, convulsions of nature, however mysterious and lawless at first sight they may seem, are only harmonious notes in the song of creation varied expressions of God's love. Believe it or not, recently I was able to pull myself away from the television and sports to read some interesting things about this vast world in which we live. For example, did you know that if you hold a dime at arm's, at arm's length against the night sky, behind that dime are 15 million stars? Or that the Big Dipper is a star cluster 75 light years away. It takes light from the Big Dipper about 75 years to get down to us. So if you are 75 years old tonight, you can go out into your backyard, look up and see the Big Dipper as it was on the day in which you were born. Or if you want to look up and look at the star cluster called Hercules, you're looking back some 20, uh, 27,000 light years. Let's go from the giant to the minuscule. There are atoms, and they're like tiny solar systems of, of marvelous intricacy. And like a distant galaxy, the DNA molecules of, of things like the chair you're sitting in at this very moment are only visible when they are magnified 10 million times. All that is to say is here we are, a tiny dot, just a slice in a minor galaxy of a vast universe created out of nothing by God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in whose name we are gathering as God's people today. Our Presbyterian forefather, John Calvin, said, nature is the theater of God's glory. Nature is the theater of God's glory. Now, friends, I'm one of those who believes that uh, science and faith, science and religion, actually belong together and, and not in separate hermetically sealed boxes. They're not in competition with each other, but they're actually interacting with each other all the time. 
In other words, faith should give cosmologists, astrophysicists, chemists, and biologists the motivation to do science. And science has provided us with just another way for us to know God. And so with that as an introduction, I'm going to talk a little theology about ecology. And I'm going to do that through our second scripture reading, which is Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is one of the great nature psalms of the Bible. And so I invite you to join me as I read this wonderful passage about the creation, but about God as the creator. You can follow along on the screen or in your bulletin. The psalmist writes, The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth, pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Pause here, because there's some now familiar words that you probably hear me in kind of preparation for preaching on a sermon on Sunday morning. And I like for it to serve as our prayer again today. But the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock. And my Redeemer. And our Lord, that is uh, our prayer this morning as we open up your word to hear that which we need from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father uh, was uh, relaxing in his recliner. He was absorbed in his daily newspaper when his young son bolted into the room and he popped the question every parent braces for. Daddy, where did I come from? That dad swallowed hard. He gritted his teeth, and then he launched into a detailed, no-hold-barred account of the birds and the bees. And he told his son where he spent those nine months before he came out and joined the rest of the family. The young boy just sat there, eyes wide, his jaw open about what his father was telling him. And as soon as his father was finished, that boy got up and he turned to run out of the room. And his father asked him, where, where are you going? The boy said, I'm, I'm going to tell Jimmy where I came from. When he asked his dad, his father said, New Jersey. We all want to know where we came from. And since we weren't there for our own origin, 
we have to hear it from our parents who were there. And since none of us were there at the beginning of the universe, we have to hear it from our Heavenly Father, who, in fact, was there. Genesis chapter 1 is basically God telling his children the primordial facts of life. So when we ask, God, where did we come from? God kind of takes us on his knee. He opens his book and he shares with us that we came from an act of love. And of course, we, we want to know, well, well did it happen uh, 10,000 years ago? It, it, six literal days of 24 hours each? Or, or was it 14 billion years ago in a big bang? God doesn't tell us how. God only tells us who. And as the first words of the Bible tell us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then we look at our second scripture reading, Psalm 19. And it tells us that God created the heavens and the earth to draw out our praise for the creator. And so the, the more that we learn about the world, what we find is that every natural wonder bears the mark of God. In fact, some of the great universities in this country, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, they all were originally founded with the mission to glorify God through the study of God's creation. For example, you can see this slide on the screen. The great wooden doors above them, and this is the historic Cavendish Lab, uh, Laboratory in Cambridge, founded in 1874. Those words uh, that you see there are in Latin, and they are from Psalm 111, verse 2. And you don't know Latin, I don't know Latin, so here's what it says in Psalm 11, verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. That's what's on those doors. One of the great uh, scientists of the 20th century in this country was uh, George Washington Carver. And George Washington Carver once prayed a prayer. He said, Lord, this universe is so big. Lord, please show me the secrets of the universe. And George Washington Carver said that God came back and said, uh, George, this, this universe is way too big for you. Why don't you start with a peanut? And so George Washington Carver started in, to investigate the mysteries of the peanut. He discovered 150 new ways to use a peanut. And, and he helped revolutionize the economy of the South. What I also found out is that George Washington Carver's favorite scripture was Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19 tells us that God reveals himself through nature. In fact, it says in verse 2, day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. It's as if this natural world is sort of like one long infomercial for the existence and the majesty of God, the creator. See, I, I think that the creation ha has a way of, of bringing us closer together, but, but also it has a way of us being closer with God. Several years ago, my uh, Princeton seminary buddies and I met in Colorado uh, where one of my friends was serving in a church. And what we did is we went camping and we went camping in the beautiful Colorado mountains. And we enjoyed our activities there of hiking and praying and, and just being with each other in this gorgeous mountainous setting. 
Well, one night we were sitting around a campfire and we got into one of those heavy theological discussions on what would you do if you only had six months left to live? And one of my friends said, well, what I would do is I would move in with my mother-in-law. I thought, wow, what a wonderful way to pay tribute. But then he said, you know, it might not change much, but those would be the longest six months of my life. <laughs> Psalm 19 also talks about the sun. The psalmist says, the sun is like a bridegroom on the way to his wedding. No nothing's going to stop the sun from, from splashing across the sky, just like nothing is going to stop a bridegroom from making his way to his wedding. But then not just the sun, that every aspect of, of God's created order is here by his intelligent design. The birds, the bees, the trees, everything that you see in nature, everything you don't see in nature is here because of God's decree and his divine providence. And, and friends, that, that actually has powerful implications for us being good stewards of the environment. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go on some kind of a rant about climate change and claims and disputes of it. All I'm saying is that God put everything on this earth for a purpose. Now, sometimes I think it's true. We like to second guess God because we don't know why God put some creatures here on earth. Mosquitoes, for example. What's the purpose of a mosquito? Really, it's just this nasty, irritating creature that sends us to Rite Aid in Quarryville for bug spray or sends us scratching indoors during those hot summer months. And while we don't know why God made certain creatures, we do know that there's a purpose to it. If I were to uh, hop in my car and drive out to the Harrisburg airport this afternoon and climb into the cockpit of a 747, I bet I'd see all kinds of buttons and knobs and switches on that instrument panel before me. And I would have no clue what those things were there for. Now, let's just suppose that we took off and we're flying at 35,000 feet. I looked at one of those knobs and I said, you know, for the life of me, I have no idea what this does. I just pulled it out. What's that wire doing under there? That can't be important. I yanked it out. And that switch, let me just start flipping that and, and pressing buttons and pulling knobs. What do you think would happen? Let me tell you what I think would happen. It wouldn't be too long before we would be spiraling towards earth, all holding hands and singing together, near my God to thee. One thing is for sure. The pilot knows why every one of those buttons, knobs, and switches are there for. And when God climbed into the cockpit of the universe, God pushed all the right buttons. God knew exactly, exactly what he was doing. So I have to kind of concede that really I'm in no position to tell God which creatures he made expendable simply because they're, they're, they're an inconvenience. They cramp my lifestyle. And so really, of all people, Christians should be in the business of trying to better protect the environment. Duke University down in D Durham, North Carolina, has a, an environmental rock star in its faculty, a guy named Stuart Pym. And uh, Stuart Pym is a professor of conservation ecology. He was actually the winner of the Heineken Prize, which is sort of like the Nobel Prize of, in the ecology world. His passion is saving endangered species, including a primate, which is on the verge of extinction in Brazil. You can see it on the screen. Probably have never seen anything like that before. It's called, it's called the golden lion tamarin. 
And uh, Stuart Pym's crusade has been to try to acquire land and change laws in Brazil to let these creatures not just survive, but thrive. Well, Stuart Pym was once interviewed by the New York Times. And you know how sometimes at the end of an interview, they'll, they'll, they'll have a throwaway question like, oh, well, what do you do for fun? Or what's your favorite movie? Or, or, or what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Well, in this case, the New York Times reporter asked Stuart Pym, are you religious? Yes, are you religious? And here's what he said. This leading environmentalist said, I'm a believing Christian. God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only son. That's an injunction from St. John. To me, this says that Christians have an obligation to look after the world. We cannot pointlessly drive species to extinction and destroy forests and oceans. When we do that, we are destroying God's creation. Friends, if you want to think about it, we're, we're sort of like curators in a museum filled with masterpieces. And God calls us to be good and wise stewards over all in which he has made. I'll conclude with this. Got to go back to Christmas Day, 1968. The Apollo 8 astronauts were circling beside the dark side of the moon and, and they were getting ready to begin their journey home. And you can see this on the screen. Over the moon's horizon, there suddenly appeared a blue and white earth, garlanded by the glistening light of the sun against the black void of space. And as uh, they sent the people back home Christmas greetings, these sophisticated astronauts trained in science and technology did not quote Albert Einstein. They didn't recite words of William Shakespeare or any other poet. Really, there's only one thing that could capture the wonder of that moment. Millions of people on Earth heard the voice from space as the astronaut Bill Anders read, In the beginning, God. One word, one name could try to, could, could completely encompass the magnificence of that spectacle. In the beginning, he read, God created the heavens and the earth. This planet uh, has a designer label on it. It says, made by God. As I share with the kids, as I share with you now, indeed, he's got the whole wide world in his hands. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Oh God, our creator, you are the one who spoke all things into existence. We praise you, we honor you, and we glorify your holy name. And we thank you that all that beauty out there is designed to point us to the love of the creator and draw out our praise for you. That out beyond the twinkling stars in the farthest galaxies is the heart of a loving God. Oh God, embrace us with that love and open our eyes to see the truth and the beauty for all that is created around us like the white snow that is falling outside as we speak. And then, oh God, help us to, to respect our land, expect, uh, respect our environment. And as we admire your creation, we pray that your new creation would also take place within us. That indeed you would make us new as well. 
Make us to be as steadfast as the sunrise, as joyous as a June bug, and as devoted to you as our dogs are to us. And it's in the majestic and powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray all these things and who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.